We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a I think it's something that for some people, they'll say they saw it coming. Other people will have been blindsided by it. Didn't even know anything like this could be possible. It's been a long time in the making, if you really think about it. But it is time for us to break it down detail by detail and cover the massive breaking news that is our 300th episode. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. It's 300 episodes. If you've been with us the whole way, uh, seek help. Call a number. There are people for you. It can be treated. Uh, we can wean you up. No, we're thrilled. Thank you. If you've been with us for one episode, 300 episodes, or anywhere in between, uh, we love you. We appreciate you. We say it all the time, and we absolutely mean it, except you. You know what you did. Um, yeah, it's great. It's it's a milestone that we get to punctuate, and I was so worried because I was like, you know, it's been a quiet summer. We'll have to just come up with something for the 300th episode. We were going to do some navel-gazing, meta-podcasting, what it's like to be on the podcast, and then thank uh, Sky Wizard, Kashelmi quit the club. So there, there you go. We got something to talk about. So uh, we just want to say before we dive into this that we appreciate you uh, even more than a captain of Arsenal appreciates the club. We we love you. We are so thrilled that you're here. For those of you who caught up with our Patreon podcast this week, I know um, internal processes is something that we're all we're all uh, tossing around in our mind trying to understand what that means. And Paul can certainly expand on that further. If you haven't heard about that, we can. We can dive into it. But Paul is, in fact, here. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Paz No My Pants. Hello, Paz. Yes, in the words of Jesus, we we are are more worried about the one sheep that we've lost than the 19... 19- Great. Good. You know what I love about and, the 300th and, episode? And listener, pod listeners. Yeah. The, the great thing is, in a lot of ways, the podcast has come, I think, a long way. I think it has developed into something uh, really special and, and from humble beginnings. And in many ways, with your audio, it hasn't changed a bit. Tim's on Twitter, at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. 
I love that. Hello, indeed. I'm, I'm glad to have you back in the fold, my friend. And Clive's on Twitter, at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I think, Clive, uh, when you join the pod, that's what we call going from strength to strength. So we, uh, we love you and appreciate you for being here. Um, kind. Okay, well, I guess we have to dive into it, Tim. Uh, I just want to get your take on it. I mean, how does it feel hearing that we have done 300 up? No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, Lauren <laughs> Koscielny. So, you know, legend, hero, captain, kiss the badge. We fight for the badge, except we don't go on tour and we strike and we breach our contract and we don't play for the club anymore. How do you feel about Lauren Koscielny uh, not wanting to be at Arsenal? So at first, so I'm, I, th- I think we've known for a while, perhaps, that he doesn't really want to be here anymore. Um, he did say that had he not been injured last year, he probably would have gone last summer. <clears throat> but it but it all seemed quite amicable. That's the weird thing. It just seemed like, a, do you know what? I'm at the end of my career. My Achilles is knackered. I want to spend, you know, my last kind of year at home, as it were, which I think everyone kind of understood. Um, and I don't think anyone would have begrudged him too much. But the the surprise is um, obviously the strength of that feeling, which uh, which which we hadn't. You know, it, it was a massive shock when that news dropped um, this morning UK time, um, because I don't think anyone quite realised how how severe this was and how much the player and the club were at lo- uh, loggerheads. As for how I feel about Lauren Koscielny himself. Um, you know, as someone, we did that episode, didn't we, earlier in the summer about your favourites of the Emirates era, and I, I went quite big on Lauren Koscielny. Yes, you did. Um, so, <laughs> you want to so change your bullshit answer well, now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to displace all of that affection and give it all to Bakri Sanya, I think. Uh, no. So, so the thing is, that's really frustrating about this for me. I mean, first of all, I got a feeling that Clive might talk about this, so I'm, I'm going to leave that for him. But what it does for, like, our image... And this, our, the image of Arsenal is very, very damaged. And this makes it even worse, particularly in a, quite a tricky summer. But the thing that's most frustrating for me is that we have such incomplete information. So we're left to guess why Arsenal felt the need maybe to make this statement. I'm guessing they just thought, well, he's not going to be here and that's going to invite questions. So let's get ahead of the story, which... which you know, in some respects, I kind of think is fine. And using the injury excuse, if you're looking to sell him, probably not a great idea because it puts off buyers. If you say, you know, if they'd have said he's not coming on tour because his Achilles is his Achilles is knackered, I'm sure everyone would have believed that. Mm. Um, but obviously, then you're not going to get any money for him if you do that. But I mean, the thing for me is, I I don't know what the other side of the story is. In fact, we don't know any of the story other than you know, this bit, the end. So it's it's very, very difficult to get a, re- a proper read on it. And that's really frustrating because like a little tiny bit of the story has been put out there. We might never get the rest of it. And so what it creates is this void and what falls into a void, speculation. And so there's just loads and loads of speculation and we might never find out, the, you know, the truth. Like mm. Fabregas happened, what, eight years ago and we still argue about it, about what happened and what didn't happen and who was at fault. And it's it's just kind of frustrating because on one hand, it feels like the club are trying to be a bit transparent, but with about 2% of the detail. So it's very difficult to know what to think other than, nobody comes out of this looking very good and that this means nothing good for Arsenal. Yeah, I agree with all of that sentiment. And 
Clive, I think what's going to happen with this is it's going to be a perfect referendum on confirmation bias. Like whatever your hobby horse is in terms of who you want to kick around, that's a person who you're going to see as deserving the blame here. So, you know, you can blame the club if you're currently like anti-Arsenal because Arsenal is just a poorly run club, so I'm just going to blame the club. If you specifically have an issue with Raul, he's an easy target. Emery's a target. Koscielny's a target. There's sort of a lot of blame that could be shared around depending on how you want to share it. So if we try to strip away the bias, I mean, where do you think the locus of this problem rests? Do you first and foremost feel that the player has erred in in taking the tack he has, or do you think maybe it's somewhere else? Well, well said on on the confirmation bias thing, because um, there's been a lot of uh, silliness online today, shall we say, and and people are just using it as a, a reason to uh, confirm their own thoughts. I think, um, for me, it, it, it's a shame. You know, I generally think that Koscielny, you know, the player... Probably be one of the most important players of the em- of the Emirates era, so it's a shame that we are where we are. Um, this situation has been in the post, right? That's why I've been I've been saying that he's going to be going. Um, I wasn't aware of his contractual situation, but I think this is a um, a, ba- a basic output from the changing cultures in the club. I think there was a time I think me and Tim I think my talk online today, which we share tweets. You know. Jack Walsh would have got his contract last summer from, from Arsene Wenger, no doubt about it. Because one of the inside people would have got his 120, 130k four-year contract. And since we all since he's left, I think he's paid about 14 minutes, so he's costing West Ham that money right now. Right? So and that was the environment that we had. We looked after our mates. That's why Carl Jenkinson's on 40 grand, wherever it is. We looked after our mates. Because Shelley, no doubt, in the old regime. They wouldn't have extended the option. He would have got his free transfer. And he was no doubt negotiating with a number of French clubs to get his money to have the last two plus one years in France. And a bit of me says, you know what? Great. But this is not that Arsenal anymore. This is an Arsenal that says, okay, we've had enough of people taking a mickey out of us. We have to hold a line. And maybe the first victim of that, perceived victim of that, was Aaron Ramsey. Right, so we held a line on him, um, and he was able to walk out of his head held high, even though the club were trying to get him to sign a contract for two years. So, and now we've got another person that's been, it's actually been held. Right, so I think it's all about the change in what we are, and there's a new football culture in place, and it's being run by Raoul. And they said there's going to be harsh discipline in place around people that get to two years. And I think Arsenal are trying to control the narrative, which they did try to do with that with that message. And you know, listening to people talk about that message, did it need to happen, did it not need to happen? That statement, sorry, did it need to happen, did it not need to happen? I think I think, well, yeah, you know what? If that's if that's your new behaviours and you're gonna control it and you're gonna hold people to account, then yeah, this is the first example of that. As long as this is consistent and we start to get to know the new club, then I, I'm all for it, right? But, um, because for me, it's, it's always club first. You know, it's always club first. However, I've got to say, this guy's had a rough ride in the last few years, injury-wise. He played injured for the club for many, many, many games. He ended up rupturing his Achilles when he potentially could have captured his country to the World Cup. He missed that 
he was the only major player to miss that. So he missed a major milestone in his life. He came back. We lost another player. He got back early and in a help keep our season on track. It didn't quite end as it did, as it could have. And he's obviously been negotiating. And there's a line in that statement that says, we've had no offers to anybody else. And what they're really saying is, mate, you've been taking the mickey out of us. You've, you've negotiated it on a free transfer. We haven't had any official approach from anybody else. So you're doing this in the background and we're not having it. And um, they've let it all come out. Now, this is new for us. And it's really interesting to see the reaction mm. of so many yeah. people today. And Elliot, your intro line mm. into the question is perfect, mate. You captured it. And it really has made people slash out on their unhappiness with certain aspects of the club. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the club brings it on themselves a little bit. I mean, look, it's not exactly communicado official de Real Madrid, is it? <laughs> <laughs> official statement from Arsenal, corner flag in the picture, and it's your captain has quit the fucking club. He's on strike. Uh, yeah, it's not. You know, I, I think if the summer felt a little smoother, if the season had ended a little better, there'd be more sympathy. But people are frustrated. And uh, to be fair, I think there has been a good amount of of the opprobrium directed at Koscielny, uh for for doing this, for not joining the tour, for going on strike to try to get his move. I think... Obviously, Raul runs the club right now in terms of the football operations, and, and a lot of this rests on him, too. I, I don't think you can just take a guy... Look, if this is Licksteiner and he's got a year in his contract and he wants you to cancel it, you know, put it in the paper shredder and forget it ever happened. But Koscielny is arguably the most important central defender at the club right now. Now, that is an indictment of our central defense, but it's reality. We can't just be letting him walk away for free. I mean, we're not in a position to do that. And the idea that he would expect that... You know, I'm sorry you're disappointed, mate, but that's not how it works. What I want to ask you about, though, Paul, is the statement and is the way it's being handled publicly. In my mind, if I could draft the perfect way to handle a difficult situation like this, it would be for Arsenal to say to Koscielny, look, okay, don't come on the tour. We will try to get you sold. You just take a load off, relax, rest that Achilles. You're an important player for us. You're the captain of Arsenal Football Club. We can't let you walk. We do have you under contract and resources are tight. If you care at all about this club, you'll understand that. But we will do everything in our power to get you sold without pushing for some obscene fee. Here's what we think we can get for you. We're going to go out and try to make it happen. In the meantime, we'll announce that you're not on tour because we're giving you extended rest because, you know, you you played a ton last season coming back from a major injury and we feel you're better suited resting at Colney than, than coming to the United States. And that's how we'll handle it. And then, you know, if we get near deadline day and we don't have a move lined up, you're going to have to stay with us. And, and maybe you can... You can have it go that way. I wonder if Koscielny had maybe indicated to the club that he was just going to come out with it and get his narrative out there first if they didn't do this, but that's how I would have liked to have seen it go. The thing I don't understand, Paul, is at the moment that you decide to put out the statement that you're pissed at him, that he's done this, that he he's on strike, and this is reprehensible, and he's in breach of his contract, Like I don't know if necessarily what you're trying to do is gain leverage to cancel his agreement, thereby getting money back that is essentially the same as a fee, but you certainly make it difficult to keep him this season. Once you put that statement out, you've turned the fans against him or trying to. You've also really put the player in a tough spot to come back and play for the club. So how do you feel about the decision to put that statement out strategically? Uh, Well, I think you did a pretty good summary there. I mean, they've done it for... A certain amount of PR and CYA covering their arse uh, in the anticipation that stuff was going to leak. And 
I guess they didn't, they wanted to get ahead of it. And to Clive's point, uh, if they're taking a different approach in in taking a stand, uh, both with the squad in terms of how Arsenal's going to be represented out there with a new, you know, they got this, they got Edu coming in. Welcome to the club, Edu. Uh, yeah. For for his first crisis of of the uh, welcome aboard the Titanic. Week. We think your first sale is going to be a great one. <laughs> yeah, I was joking. This was part of his introduction training that they lay out for the new executives, so they can get blooded in the Arsenal way. But it, it, if they thought it was going to be messy, if they thought it was going to impact on discipline, etc. Maybe they thought this was the least worst situation. I don't actually think it makes that much difference. There's a lot of uh, people going on about how this this hampers us in the market, etc. The the clubs who are going to buy him know everything about the situation. It's Rennes, it's Lyon, or Bordeaux, and I think one other club. Uh, they have each other's phone numbers, so it doesn't really matter uh, it, to go out there and say, oh, he's got a bad leg, or he's not this, or he's not that, or he's not available, or he's got a tummy upset, or whatever. It doesn't impact his his market value in any sense, I don't think. Uh, and it stops the slow drip of the rumors and the stories, etc. And people said, made jokes about how it said something like, and we're not going to answer any questions hmm. from here on in. And that's not what it says. It says we're not going to make any answer any questions for now. Uh, you know, it's not great. It's not terrible. I don't think that part of it's the big deal. I think the message, the communique um, looks a bit rushed and a bit short and a bit quick. It, I mean, You don't think it's too aggressively anti-player if you really have any interest in trying to get him back into the fold for the season? I mean, if you're planning on holding the guy to his contract, you'd like for him to feel he's still welcome at the club, and you've, you've really burned up his relationship with the fans by releasing this statement. He can't be captain. So what are you going to do? Strip him of the captaincy, fine him two weeks, you know, dock him two weeks wages, and then be like, welcome back, buddy. You're starting against Newcastle. Like, how does that work? Well, if they're gauging it right, then it was going to get ugly either way. If they thought the situation was, especially over the next week or two, they probably just didn't want this drip, drip, drip of, oh, the story is worse than they first said. Oh, it's even worse than they first said with their captain. And it is the captain. So uh, you kind of got to take a position on the captain who doesn't show up. It's impacting your squad. You got to draw a line in the squad. You don't want this drip, drip, drip of they go off and tour and suddenly we find out he's not as injured as we thought. And suddenly somebody's agent is saying this. I mean, just fucking get it out there. Well, I mean, isn't there another, I could be wrong about this, Paul, but isn't there the the ancillary issue that like, if you are trying to sell him and you're out there trying to get, I don't know, what do you get for a Shelney? Seven million, eight million. And then you announce the guy's getting docked wages, being forced to train with the reserves and is currently in breach of contract. Like they're, if you're a club trying to buy him now, you're like, well, let's bid 2 million. Let's bid 1 million. I mean, he's, he's made the situation untenable there. I mean, don't you shoot yourself in the foot a little bit? I mean... It's getting pretty marginal at that point, which is worse. I mean, they've taken a strong position. Uh, look at uh, who's the chap over at Lyon, uh, Olas. I mean, he's always telling his players they can sh- shut the fuck up and they're sticking around for another season. We're not letting you out of your contract. 
And guess what they do? So mm. it, it just... I think it's one thing when you're doing that with up and coming 23 year old, you know, or 20 year olds. And when you're doing it with a, you know, a long serving captain and 30 something year old, you know, I I think that's a little more difficult. I think it's pretty marginal. I think the clubs who want to know what the price is um, and they know where we're at. And how about we just let him sit for a couple of months? And if he really wants to fuck around, then we'll, we'll let him sit for a while and then, uh, you know, he can buy himself out or uh, he can piss off after two or three months in the middle of the season. Well, I don't know what he's making, but, but presumably if he's in breach. 90K, apparently. So what's 90K a week in, in annual money? Does anyone have 4. that? 4.5 million. All right. So if you if he's in breach and you cancel the contract, 4.5 million is basically what you would have gotten in a transfer fee anyway. So, you know, 5 million, 6 million. So maybe... The reason they're doing this is they're going to take a, an aggressive approach to cancel his contract, let him go back to France that way on a free, but without having to pay him. I mean, well, if you just let him go back on a free, you don't have to pay him anyway. So what the no, fuck am I talking yeah, about? <laughs> Never mind. Well, all right, look, let, let, Tim, let's let's parse some of this out a little bit in terms of who the enemies are here, who, who the villains are. <laughs> uh, I mean, so first of all, there is an Ornstein article out on the BBC website that does give a little more color to this. Uh, and again, we don't know where the details are coming from, whether they're coming from the players' camp or other players or agents or who it is, but apparently he was unhappy with how Unai Emery used him last season. There was a thought that going, uh, you know, his playing schedule, there was a thought that getting back into the Champions League might fix things. Uh, he and Emery had a face-to-face meeting Wednesday. Koscielny communicated that he wouldn't be joining them. The Spaniard was furious. That's Emery. Obviously, Koscielny is not Spanish. <laughs> Arsenal's head of football, Raul Senyeni, Senlehi, uh, sent... Koscielny a message expressing bitter disappointment and warning him that he would be in breach of contract if he doesn't travel. He's then going to be forced to train uh, with the reserves, with the people left behind at, at London Colney, um, which I think is the is the uh, plot of the Leftovers spinoff show that's coming out. So that'll be interesting. So I don't know. It, it all looks like a mess. I guess, Tim, I do want to give you a shot to just quickly, quickly give me your thoughts on whether you think the statement they put out is the right tactic, and then we can get on to maybe parsing various villains of the piece here. It's it's, diff- it's honestly, it's difficult to know. I, I'm one of those really weird people that likes to have all of the information. Pointless. <laughs> Absolutely some, pointless. <laughs> and and some, some kind of evidence. Um, you know, my, my years working in investigation have like ruined my brain <laughs> in this respect. Um, I, I, because that's my principal frustration, right? I don't know, because obviously a whole load of stuff has happened to get to this point. And that's what I'm interested in, is how has it got to this point? How long has this been going on? Like, what is the detail? Like, this, you know, it, it strikes me, this doesn't just happen over a couple of days. This happens over a long period. And, you know, there was some suggestion that Arsenal have triggered some kind of clause to extend his deal. You know, we we had that weird rumour, didn't we, last week that, like, that came out of nowhere that turned out not to be true, but that Nacho Monreal had terminated his contract. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you thought, oh, that's really odd. Where, like, where does that come from? Because don't get me wrong, quite a lot of stuff does get made up, but not usually that specific and, you know, that easily disproved. So it's, 
it, it's a bit weird. Do you and, think and it was that maybe had... like senior defender plans to cancel his contract kind of like got <laughs> leaked and someone just took a guess and it was the wrong player? <laughs> maybe, maybe. But they, they've clearly triggered that with Nacho and no kind of announcement has been made or anything like that. And you have to wonder if that's exactly what Nacho wanted. And Nacho's at a very similar stage of his career and might have very similar ambitions to go back to Spain for the last year or so. So... Uh, whereas, you know, an Arsenal, I think if Arsenal were in good shape, they would happily, um, you know, grant both of those players and just say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, you know, we you've been good servants. You're coming to your mid thirties. Absolutely. Um, you know, we'll we will just make sure the offer's right. We won't haggle massively. We'll just get a fee and we'll let you go. But but we're in such a state at the moment that we have to hang on to them. Um, and that that could be causing the friction, really. But uh, I mean, the statement, I just I, again, I don't really understand it. But that doesn't mean that it's a stupid thing to do, because there might be a really good reason behind it that I can't think of. But I don't know what it is. Um, like I say, I can only imagine Look, he wouldn't have been on the plane. He wouldn't have been on the tour. And if they're not prepared to say to lie and say he's injured because they want to sell him then you know i i maybe they don't really have a choice but um yeah I, anybody, I don't tim do you have any idea what he means by he wasn't he doesn't like how he was used last year i mean of yeah. all the players I, I can tell you what it means it means he, did, he had to go play dead rubbers away in the europa league after coming back from an achilles he probably felt that he was overused or used in games where he wasn't needed. I mean, one thing that the article from Mornstein calls out is that Koscielny was looking at extending his contract based on Champions League qualification. He probably has a disdain for the Europa League, like any normal sentient human being should. That's the appropriate response to the Europa League. And uh, didn't want to be in it. Didn't want to be playing in it. Wanted to protect his longevity. Tim, thoughts? Mm -hmm. That's not quite accurate. I mean, it's it's a hundred percent accurate because I said it. But all right, Clyde. Before I come to you, just real quick. I mean, Tim. I think there's plenty of blame to go to Kashelny here. That you are club captain. You're a longtime servant of the club. You know, I, I get that you're disappointed that you have to stay and you don't want to. And maybe there would be a way out. But in the meantime, you have to fulfill your professional duties. Get on the plane. Go on tour. Act like a grown up and negotiate a better outcome. Now. Maybe he felt this was the only approach he could take to get the outcome he wants. And if so, it's going to burn his relationship with the fans of a club that was supposed to mean something to him, but so be it. I guess the question is, on the club side, are you prepared to point a finger at anyone, at Raul, at, at Emery? Is there anyone on the club side that you feel has to be challenged in terms of this situation developing this way? That was over to you, Tim. Sorry, just real quick before we go over to Clive. Ah, Tim Stillman left the call is what I'm seeing. So as Tim's internet joins, I like this. Our 300th episode, shades of some of the earlier episodes. I like that. Technical glitches, some sound issues, no problem whatsoever. Clive, how about you answer that? Yeah. Can I add a point on I'd prefer you didn't, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to quickly say, if I'm going to blame somebody, we've, we, and that's Raul and his team have been very slow at resolving situations. We just kind of let it hang out there. And I think, Clive touched on it. This this feels like it has a bit of the Ramses about it, although there's a lot that's different. Something's the same, which is players not really known where they stand going forward. Um, on the other hand, we've been very fair to Koscielny in, in other ways. He kept the captain's band. He was always treated very respectfully by Emery. 
and uh, we we stuck with him in terms of supporting him while injured and keeping his place ready for him when he came back. And he got loads of play time. I mean, uh, on the footballing side, uh, I'm sorry if there was a game or two he wanted to be rested for, but but I. I would think with an Achilles problem, he would have no problem not playing in any game he said he didn't want to play in. So I'm not even buying that side of it. But I do think we're just such a mess in terms of players' situations and understanding their where they're going to be in terms of the club in upcoming seasons. We, we leave this stuff hanging out there, and I could see why that side of it would trouble him and why he might All want right. a more settled future. All right, I mean, look. Ornstein says this, and I can only have come from one place in my opinion. The 33-year-old is understood to have become increasingly discontent since his return in December, primarily over the management of his playing schedule. Clive, explain to me why my clearly correct answer that has laced within it criticism of Emery because of my confirmation bias is in any way possibly incorrect. (laughs) No, so this is where I think... um Sheldon's using words cleverly, right? So let's think about this. He was due to come back around Christmas time. What happened? Rob Holden got injured. Remember? December? I think it doesn't December. ring a bell. Rob Holden got injured? Yeah. He got I injured. just, I I just assumed all our best players were playing because the defense was rock solid. And I think around December time, we also had a situation where we had lost Socrates for suspension. And maybe even Mustafi at the same time, I'm not too sure. But I think Kashoni was rushed back slightly. Right, so and in those early games he was not great, remember? He was not great. And then he eventually found his form and he eventually turned in his normal hero performances until late in the season where I think he hit a bit of a wall. And that sometimes happened. You can keep it going for a while, then you hit a wall, then the the fact you've not had a proper preseason, for example, it catches up with you. And he hit a wall and, and towards the end of the season he was he was walking dead. I think he was thinking, you know, if we get to Champions League I'll stay. Um, but we didn't get there. And I think this is a byproduct of the Europa League. If he'd have got, we'd got to Champions League, no doubt we'd had more money. No doubt we'd have bought two set of halves. But now we're having to redress the situation. We're buying a young kid from St. Etienne and we're loaning him back. It doesn't mean that our other centre halves that we want to keep can knock the door of the club and say, I want a free transfer. It's just business. It's just where we are. I wouldn't look too deep into this. I just think, I just think, you know, that, that if you look at the fundamentals of it, the club captain has decided not to go on a tour. That's quite big, right? That's quite big. But in Europe, for example, they don't put a big deal on the captains. You know, the captains, so what? This is a professional player that's not doing his job. So Arsenal will sort it out. I don't think it's a tactic. I think there were ch- discussions at the end of the season that were deemed to be quite positive. But that's why this has been a surprise. And if you're doing a tour, trust me, if you're doing a tour like this, every detail would have been confirmed. Playing time would have been confirmed. Because Shelney's role within that tour as the club captain, right? Can you imagine all the PR stuff that's going on out there? You know, can you imagine what's happening in America? It's the really important stuff with sponsors, for example. And the club captain has decided to just not go. Whatever his situation is, that's not great. That's not yeah, great for the club. There's no way they, he told them two weeks ago, I'm not going. No, exactly. This is like, this is a shock thing. So they've reacted with a curse statement. 
But you're going to be out there in America, mate, and you're going to be seeing all the things that are happening outside of the games that promote this club in that side of the world. Yeah, and the captain and won't the, be part of any of that. The captain <laughs> won't be part of it. Let's not talk about... This is bigger than Emery, man. Emery's can, a coach Can I, can team, I ask you a question right? just real quick, Clive? Do you think that maybe yes, this mate. is actually a sign of Koscielny's dedication to the club and his commitment to the club in that, just hear me out, that yep. when you look at... Fabregas is captain, Van Persie is captain, Gallus is yep. captain. I mean, maybe he's trying to carry on the tradition of captains being huge pricks with no loyalty to Arsenal. I mean, that it, that's real commitment. You know what? It's, no? It's really <laughs> Nothing? simple. Nothing? Not even? No. Crickets? It's really, Fine. It's Fuck it's you really guys. Simple, right? I'm going to say something that's going to resonate with people who, who, who have jobs and have worked places a long time. No, not me. Well, when you, well, when you work somewhere a long time and you work with a boss for nine, ten years, and then that boss goes, it makes you think about yourself. It makes you think about your how you operate, how you work, your position in the club. And this is why I think Emery did a very smart thing. There are other people just not seeing it. He did a very smart thing by doing the five captains because that settles people down. Because then people think, okay, this guy's got some sort of affinity with me. Right, so what the five captains things did, that allows you to get to know your club really quickly by having a leadership group. That's all it is. It's a leadership group. It allows you to permeate the squad, find out what's happening, give certain people responsibility and share the responsibility and, and create leadership layers within the squad. That's all this is. People are taking that too literal. And so, you know, it, it's just really, it's just the fact that the old boss is gone and he wondered about himself. And you can't think of more of a, a Wengerite player than Koscielny or maybe Theo Walcott. This, he's been there the entire Emirates, almost the entire Emirates era. And the big man's gone. I'm in the autumn of my career. I've got a young family. Maybe I should think about where I want to play the last few years of my life. But he signed a contract with an option. And that option can be triggered by the club at any time. And that's what he signed. And the club have triggered it. No doubt they may not have done if they got to the Champions League. And this is where we are. Now, it, it's business, it's football, it's life. It's a bit of a shame because I'm not sure that, you know, I would, of all somebody to ruffle his feathers, I wouldn't have picked him because I like the guy, right? He's been, you know, he's been an absolute stalwart. I made those Champions Leagues that we got in 17 years on the trot. We wouldn't have got there without him. That's for sure. Right? So he has been a loyal servant. But there's a it's your your job title is called professional football, and what he has done today is not professional. No, and the only thing you know I think that's an issue here now, Tim, that we have to talk about is the practicality, the impact of this. I mean, whether mm. it's absurd or not, Lauren Koscielny is the best central defender at Arsenal still. <laughs> um, yeah. He is a player who did play a lot down the stretch surely would have played a lot this season to the extent that he could. I'm not saying that that's a good plan, but, you know, I mean, it looks, we'll get on to Saliba and we'll get on to some of the youth players leaving and staying in the tour and we'll, we'll, we'll cover some of that. But, like, it, it leaves us in a position now where it looks like now Mustafi has to stay. We can't get rid of him anyway. Holding's not back mm -hmm. yet. I mean, although he's on the horizon, fine. Socrates probably wasn't quite as good as people would like to suggest. And now Koscielny... I don't see a way back here. I certainly don't see this ending with Koscielny playing for Arsenal this season, although it could. So for you, what are the practical implications of this move? Um, yeah, well, they're, they're difficult for the reasons you describe. Although um, although Koscielny taking this action is a bit of a shock, the fact that he wants to leave isn't. 
Um, and I, you know, like I said, he he said he said that last summer that if he hadn't been injured, that he'd probably gone then. So that's not a surprise. So in that respect, it probably doesn't change very much. I'd imagine Arsenal have known for quite a long time. It does leave us in a pickle. But one way or another, there was just no way we were going to be able to rely on Koscielny for that many games next season, whether he's here or not. We have to find a way somehow of weaning ourselves off of that dependence from him, um, whether he's here or not. Um, so I, I'd imagine that they're going to put a lot of faith in Rob Holding when he comes back. Um, maybe Callum Chambers um, as well. I tell you what, if Callum Chambers wants to piss off on loan again this summer, then you know I, d- I don't know what's wrong with him uh, <laughs> because I was already really disappointed that last summer he didn't look at Arsenal's defence and think I can get in there um, because Rob Holding did and he didn't have to do that much to become a first choice defender at Arsenal. So if Callum Chambers is not licking his lips at this scenario, then we really need to throw him in the biggest dustbin we can find um, because he might get some opportunities. And yeah, I, I quite like Callum Chambers. I think he's quite good. Um, I, you know, I don't think he's a superstar, but I don't think Arsenal are in superstar territory at the moment. I think the question we ask ourselves is, is he better than Mustafi? Yeah, he's um, probably not Arsenal caliber and yet would be our second or third best central defender. Is the best yeah, way you can yeah say. exactly. That's, that's just, I, I know, I've been writing about a lot of this over the last few weeks, kind of saying like, should we lean into Gendouzi as a first choice? Should we lean into, you know, looking at Awobi in central midfield? I'm not saying any of these are ideal, but my feeling for a long time is Arsenal are going to have to get better with what they've already got because we haven't got any money and nobody wants to buy the players that we don't want. And that's not a good equation. Um, so, for me, there was always this summer a big sense of trying to get a little bit more, just trying to squeeze a little bit more out of what we've already got um, with with our and trying to cultivate potential. And potential doesn't just mean academy players. Mm. Potential can mean 24-year-old Rob Holding. It can mean 24-year-old Callum Chambers. It can mean 23-year-old Alex Awobi. It can mean Matteo Genduzzi. Get You know, if we can make those guys a bit better then, you know, we're, we're not looking at making up an enormous gap to the top four here. We're looking at, at the moment, a one-point gap. And if we can squeeze a little bit more out of some of those guys, it, it might be enough. Um, but, we, you know, with Koscielny, yes, it complicates things in terms of our defence. But for me, that's not the surprise. The surprise is the conduct, how sour it is, how much of a political and image problem that causes us. That the, the problems on the playing side, I think, were there anyway. So, yeah. in a sense, I don't think anything's changed. Yeah, it just it just makes a complex situation worse, and I think it gives rise to the question, Paul, of how this plays in the dressing room. You know, I remember we did a podcast back in I want to say it was January. Um, they all blend together for me uh, into a blur of of. Uh, things that I pay no attention to while I'm surfing Twitter. Um, but the the issue here is, you know, in, on a, in the January podcast, we talked about Ozil and the power play that Emery was having with Ozil and, you know, the the conjecture about, you know, is, is he going to win this power play and he's not playing Ozil and he's not playing Ramsey and how will this play in the dressing room? And I think we agreed that, like, if it works and the team wins, then 
you win and you succeed. But if it fails and the team doesn't win, then it can backfire on the, on the coach. And sure enough, Ramsey and Ozil were brought back into the squad. And I think Tim has actually been pretty vocal on the podcast. And Tim, apologize if I put words in your mouth here, but I'm about to uh, stuff them right into your mouth in saying that, you know, there was almost a disappointment when he went, or Paul, maybe it was you, almost a disappointment going back to Ozil and Ramsey because he had stepped back from the line that he had drawn in the sand. The reason I... That I've, was me. That was... All right, so <laughs> I put it in the mouth of everyone except the man who said it. Um, I, I I agree with that, yeah. Okay, so there you go. But but here's here's my long rambling point that I've been trying to get to and, and not quite getting there. You know... The issue with Koscielny may be a shortcoming of Koscielny. We may see it that way. All of us fans, all of us people who follow the club may feel that Koscielny is in the wrong here. But that may not be how it plays in the dressing room. There will be disappointment that they didn't qualify for the Champions League. There will be people who are friendly with Koscielny, who see him as an elder statesman. He is the captain of the club, who will feel he's being done dirty here, think that the club is doing him wrong, who will feel that the club isn't taking care of its own, who will look at situations like that and and have less confidence in the club and maybe the manager and maybe people like like Raul. So how worried would you be about the players going on tour, especially maybe some of the older players who have seen a lot in the game and, and maybe believe in player power a little more, like Aubameyang, like Lacazette, like Mkhitaryan, like Ozil, obviously, who already has quite a clear agenda, I think we would say. How worried are you that this is yet another possible trigger for a toxic at atmosphere in the dressing room and and potentially turning players against management and the coach yeah i agree with all that uh i wouldn't say kishelny is super close necessarily with with the rest of the squad now i mean there's been so much the good news is there's been so much turnover uh i mean there'll be relationships and obviously the a couple of our more senior players are french or of french uh origins in terms of their well, league he's the and captain he's older i mean you know he will he will have been a, a player that's hey, looked yeah. up to at least yeah 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 but but he's not he, he's also been kind of in and out of late that's and, and mm-hmm. there has been a lot of turnover um i think it's one of those things if they can get the mess cleaned up quick you know players move on uh they're they're pretty sanguine about stuff about contracts etc and so they'll have their sympathies for kishelny because that could be them one of these years. I mean, Obama Yang kind of did something similar Dortmund, but I still think they're not going to get overly emotional about it. Um, and if we tidy the mess, the, the thing will be not letting it just bleed and bleed. Um, so they need to take a clear position from the club standpoint and the players need to see that the club has backbone about it, whatever they decide to do, even if that's having them play with the uh, the under 23s for a month or two uh, before bringing them back into the fold. Whatever the position is, it needs to be. And uh, obviously, if we can clear the mess up quickly and get them sold and get a decent fee, great. Um, if not, they they got to take a firm line. And the fact that he's a captain cuts both ways. And in this case, I think they've got to be particularly firm with him. Uh, it's a bit of a letdown. It's, it's insulting to the manager and insulting to... Uh, our CEO or whatever Raul's called these days. And it, it's not just another player. So they got to do what they got to do. Are you? Um, yeah, go ahead, sir. Yeah. I, I was just going to ask, are you surprised that Emery then is taking the position that he's not interested in someone like Christian Bielek? I mean, you know, Tim talked yeah. about, you know, Chambers could could have made a difference last season and surely could this season. Look, I get that L- League One isn't the Premier League, but 
French League 2 is not the Premier League, and Gendouzi at 19 years old was able to make the leap. Now look, not every player can make that leap, but he's impressed everywhere he's been. He's got a big body. He he impressed over the summer for his country. Um, given the circumstance, why don't you think he's been brought on tour? And why don't why don't you think Emery wants to have a look at a player that has impressed basically everywhere he's been in his Arsenal career? Yeah, well, look, I'm frustrated he's not going on tour. Obviously, part of it is he was going late in his tournament. Um, and now we want him to sign and, and loan him out instead of selling him. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not how you get a player to do what you want him to do, is it? No. It is a bit Chelsea, though. I mean, they have 20, 31 of those buggers floating around the place or whatever they've got at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but all right. So this is sort of my point. And, you know, this gets back to Clive. You've talked about the Arsenal tax and people don't want to buy Arsenal players. But you contribute to your own problems. What I mean by that is you want to sell players Bring him in your first team. You know, Christian Bielik having played a season in League One is worth X million. Christian Bielik making a few Europa League appearances and playing in the League Cup for Arsenal is worth 2X million, even if he's not fantastic. I think it enhances their reputation. But also, if you want to sign him and loan him, bring him on tour and let him at least participate in club activities. I mean, okay. Clive, can you explain to me why, why we're not doing I that? I will explain. I, I explain. would love an explanation. Right. Please, help right. me. So Christian Somebody help Bielik. me. Christian B. I, I quite like the player. He looks really nice. He's got some lovely um, sways. He moves to the midfield. He lacks a bit of fitness late in games, but he's got wonderful technique for a guy so big. And I really like the fact he went out of League One and did what he did. Right now, in my opinion, he's a championship player. That's that's what he is. If he plays in centre midfield for us, well, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a fan of his. His, but Callum Chambers would be a better option in centre midfield than Christian Bielik. He's done it in the Premiership for Fulham, and he did he ended up being their Player of the Year. Callum Chambers is not a centre half in the Premiership because he has no last man defensive gene. He hasn't got the way of tackling with the with the level of desperation and stability you need to be the last man in your defence. That's why I think he makes a fantastic holding midfielder where he's got great technique um, and he can move the ball, but he can tackle, he can head, he can block spaces, and he goes to receive it nicely. So if you're Arsenal, you loan out Bielik and you get him to sign the contract not like he did with Serge Gnabry where we loaned him out, went to Olympics, come back one year ago, he's in charge, see you later, five million quid, 50 million pound player sitting in Bayern Munich's first team and one of the stars of the German national team. So you tie him down and you control the asset. And we have to do this more. I want to see his use alone. What if he won't more. sign though? What What if you're just not offering him well, anything attractive All right, Then you have to sell. But, but that's okay. That's okay. What you we can't have, Elliot, mm. what we can't have, I need you to, this is really important. We're trying to control things now. What we can't have any longer is what Alexis did, what Aaron Ramsey did. Of course, you know, I agree with that, right? We, like, we, I don't have any disagreement. But we have to do, we have to say, this is how we operate. And Raul said this there'll be a new discipline in place. This is how we operate. When it gets to two years, you will be sold. It's as simple as that. There will be a lot more contracts now, three plus ones, three years plus a one-year option. You get to the last year, third year, and you say, you've got one year to go. Are you going to sign again? No. Okay, we'll take out the option. Two years, we're going to sell you. You see what I mean? But, but can, I, can I ask you a question? Can I just ask you a push back on this for one second? Let me just ask you a question. So let's say you look at our situation right now, and I think it doesn't take a genius to see that 
there's room for another central defender in our team. Now you might say, no, there's not because yeah. there's Socrates and Kachel. Well, there's not Kachelny, but maybe Kachelny no, and Socrates. And the, yeah, All right, you, just hear me out. Bar, just hear right? me out. Okay, so you look at Bielik and you say, realistically, what are we getting for this guy now? Five million, six million. Why wouldn't you say to him, we'll give you first team football this season. We'll play you in the Europa League group stage. We'll play you in the League Cup. We'll bring you on tour. We'll look for opportunities to integrate you in the first team. If you sign with us, you sign him. You give him some first team chances. And at a minimum, if he's not a fit, you probably, just by virtue of that, have a 12 million pound asset next season instead of a 5 million pound asset this. And if you get lucky, he helps you in a position where you need it anyway. Like, why cut bait cheap right now? Yeah, so... Let's tell, you, let's tell you the mind of a football, right? Basically, he this kid played lots of youth football. He, he's, I think it's his second loan now, but this last loan has gone really, really well. He now knows he's a first-team player. No messing. I now need to be in a first-team squad, and I want to play. Arsenal can't guarantee him that. And and no, nobody listening to him is going to say, well, we would agree with that. We can't guarantee he's going to play first-team football. We just can't, right? And so what Arsenal wants to do is maybe build the asset a little bit more, either for selling or to make sure that actually he has done this now at the championship level or a lower premiership level. We can now integrate him into our squad. It's what Chelsea do all the time. They do it all the time. Now, we don't know the conversations that have happened, but I understand the logic. Like I said, I quite like the player. I would like to see him in America and see what he's got so we can all make an assessment, right? So Why wouldn't Emery want him on tour? I guess that's my question. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. He's He's back back from from the tournament. Yeah, Gwen Doozy's not on tour neither, is he? Is that right? Yeah, so he's not said he's not going on tour. We don't know if they've even spoken. They might have spoken at some point in last season. We can't take the snippets and use it. He is not on tour. He is not back on duty yet. And it'd be interesting to see what happens when he does come back on duty, because I do think there's a player in there. But I understand if Arsenal want to loan him again and control the asset. It's a way of building. I'd like to see us do it more. What Chelsea do is they absolutely pay over the odds for really young players, in some of this in an immoral way. They, they park them, they stack them, they win all the youth tournaments, then they loan them. And they loan them, and they have made uh, tens and tens and tens of millions selling these players or loaning them out and making a profit on them. And ones and twos have made it in. And really, it's ones and twos. It's a bit of a people factory. But right now, if you think about Nathan Aki, 20 million, how much does Solanke go for? Liverpool starting for about eight or nine. That's just two off the top of my head. You've got to do it. They just sold J.D. Silver to Bristol City. I'm not sure what number was about ten. Yeah, but million. we're not enhancing the value of our players, so we're not getting those. We're not getting those because fees. we're not loaning them out. Because we yeah. haven't gone down that pathway yet. We've loaned out six or seven compared to forty-seven. So I'd like to see us do more of it. I'll tell you now, these young players don't want to know about under twenty-one and under twenty-three football. They all want to play first team. There's a bit of a in academies right now. There's a bit of a kickback to to signing contracts. They all want to leave. They, all, they don't want to be there past 18. Under-23 football is dying. I have a friend of mine out, out right now trialling at Reading, under-18s, I'm oh, sorry, 18-year-old kid, under-23 football. He's killing the trial. He's got a chance of playing non-league football, first team, or staying at Reading. And anybody in their brain says, stay at Reading, you're a pro club. He can get, he can get more money playing for non-league, and he's playing first team football. And all the kids in the academy... They want to leave. And he said to me, he goes, when Reading play Manchester United, for example, 
the kids don't want to play. But when they're playing Cheltenham, a non-league game, and it's a real game against men, everyone wants to play in that game. I thought that was really interesting. And it's the dynamic of the young player is changing their intelligence. I want to play. I want to play. That's why German scouts are over here. That's why Dutch scouts are over here. They want to put themselves in a shop window because they know their career is short. And by 19, they want to be earning money. There's going to be a lot more players leaving our academy to go and play at 18 because they can't see a pathway to the first team. So the only way a club can respond is by controlling them via the contract. And that's what they're trying to do. And it looks a bit ugly and lumpy because everything gets into the press. But they've got to try to do that. When they've invested in an asset, they've got to try to get a return in well, one way or another. I know you're disappointed Amici's leaving. So, <laughs> Well, yeah. it's, it, it's life. And he's a great example. Hudson Odoi was going to Bayern Munich. He does his Achilles. Bayern Munich are looking at him, looking at Amici. He turned his head. He doesn't want to sign. He wants to play first-team football, and his, his head is not in the game at the moment, I'm afraid, and that's, yeah. that's the way it goes. All right. Well, Tim, let me ask you this then. I mean, is some of what's happening – look, the, the, the zeitgeist, zeitgeist right now around Arsenal is that it is a dumpster fire. Everything's bad. Woe is the club. Can't get anything mm. right. And if you take a step back, I think Clive has a point, which is this is the growing pains of trying to institute – new processes, new protocols about how things are run. But internal also, processes. Internal processes. <laughs> Boom. Paul vindicated. If you don't know what we're talking about, uh, it's probably for the best. Um, <laughs> hey, so Tim, I mean, I wonder also though if some of this is what happens when a club that spent 20 years in the Champions League becomes a Europa League club. That suddenly you yeah. have players on bigger money than Europa League clubs can sign for. Players of a certain statue who feel they should be at Champions League clubs. Youth players who no longer feel that they're at a club with the trajectory they want, their reputation is suffering because now they're not getting into the first team at a Europa League club instead of a Champions League club. The opportunities are changing. Um, you know, how much of what's happening at Arsenal right now do you think is is a worrying sign of the fallout from a change in pedigree and stature of the club itself? Oh yeah, hugely, and and it was always going to be like that. I think um, you know during the stadium debt years, um, should we say? And I I recognise just as a caveat that we are still in stadium debt, but hopefully people know what I mean when I say the stadium yeah, debt years. Everyone knows. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think the club always said, oh, we we can spend like a season or two outside, and I and I think at the moment the the case was always, yeah, we we can do one year outside the Champions League comfortably. Two, yeah, we can do that, but nobody said three. Nobody said that we can do three, and there's a good reason they haven't said that because that does change everything. Because, you know, like accounts what are released, like, you know, basically almost a year after the fact that there's no covering any ills when you've been outside for three years. You can just about do it in two, but not in three. Um, and that is when, you know, you're not kind of. You st- you lose the ability to spend, to to kind of project. You know, you lose the ability to say, "All right, we've put fifty million down on a Bamiyang, and we can't really afford that at the moment." But if he gets us back in, you know, you're chasing your losses. You spend three years outside. You're not chasing your losses anymore. They're just losses, and you can't keep chasing them. It's it's the same principle as you know, if you're a gambler and you lose your stake. You know, you, you keep a bit of stake money there. You keep going into your stake money. But when it's not there anymore, it's not there. And you can't take any gambles. You can't place any bets and you're done. And 
that's kind of where we are. And I, and I think it was reasonably obvious that that was always going to happen. And I think the club were not open, I'd say, but I think it's always been reasonably obvious that a third year would be very, very damaging to us. And yeah, absolutely. We've got players who are growing old on our books on massive wages that we can't shift and we can't afford um, players who've probably become demotivated on those wages by quote unquote the Arsenal project, um, you know, and and the irony, I guess, given the conversation you and Clive just had, is that we're in a stage where we have to rely on kind of our own talent, but our own talent doesn't want to be here that much. And you've got even someone like Tyrese John Jules, who I look at and think you've got a you've got a really good chance of staking a claim in the next year to 18 months because Danny Welbeck's gone. Doesn't look like we're getting anyone to replace him. So there's a spot there. And, you know, Emery doesn't seem to fully trust in Ketia. There's a spot open there. But, you know, Tyrese John Jules, understandably, is kind of is playing it cool and saying, well, OK, yeah, maybe I've got a chance here, but maybe I'll get a chance somewhere else. And um, and yeah, the, the, absolutely. This is the difficulty of losing status and most importantly of losing money. And that that's why I've never, ever thought at any point this summer that you'll see some big overhaul because nobody's going to come and pay for Mustafi. No one's taking Ozil off us. No one's taking Mkhitaryan off us. And until those guys are off our books, we're kind of stuck. And it's it's really as simple as that. So what we really need now, and this for me is where Emery can really, really earn his money. We need a coach because we need someone who can get more out of what we've got because we're not going to get a lot more from the transfer market. That's that's just the reality. We're not going to get Wilfred Zaha. That's not going to happen. You know, Chelsea, aren't, sorry, Palace aren't going to take like what Mustafi, Chambers, Elnen, like we think we're just going to like dump all our rubbish like in Croydon for them. Like they're, they're not going to take that. What if like, we bring them a we bunch of aluminum cans and they give us the, the, the money back <laughs> for the aluminum? And the- Do you know who might have been a really good mate quite that might have made them sit up and take notice for Wilfred Zaha? Danny Welbeck. That might have got them thinking. That might have got yeah. them thinking, okay, there's They there's, were, they were going to buy him, Tim. They were going to buy him, actually. And, yeah. they, still, and they still might. They were yeah, interested yeah. in him in January, and they still might. So he was he was on track for a free transfer to them. So, exactly. but the other player they're looking at is actually Reese Nelson. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that. and and we can't spare him. And I'd rather have Nelson like, than Zaha. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest; it's a future that might be worth something. You know, and and it's just you know keeping hold of someone like Danny Danny Welbeck, like a valuable asset like that we might we might have made them think about Wilfred Zaha uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna take a couple of centre-backs and a shit central midfielder are they for Wilfred Zaha that's just fantasy land so I, um this this analogy will mean nothing to you and probably only to my American uh uh comrades here but I play fantasy NFL from time to time And there's this thing that some asshole will always do in every league where he takes like five players that he doesn't use. You know what I mean? Like his bench players and offers you like five players he has no use for, for your star. You know what I mean? And like, those are the trades that you always call your friend up and you're like, oh, you see what John did? What a fucking dick. Of course I'm not taking that (laughs) trade. And like, that's what we're going to do with Palace. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. Do you know, it it reminds me of like, you know, my kind of corporate career at like former organizations. I, I used to work in like, kind of human resources and when mm-hmm. when you know when people had like underperforming staff and instead of like performance managing them or sacking them 
You know, whenever like there was a team who said, "Oh, we could really do with an, an administrator," this other team would go, "Oh, I, I can offer you someone," and it's like, and it's like, no, no, because I know that person's underperforming. Fucking manage them properly. Tim, uh, don't try and do this. So it, it feels like that. Even the HR department and accountancy firm wouldn't want Carl Jenkins in there. <laughs> you're, not, you're not fooling anybody with that. Look, let, let let's start to move on if that's okay with you, because just um. We just got a couple odds and ends to fill in, and then actually Scott's going to join with some statistics that put into context where we are at the end of last season or where we were and where we're headed. Um, And I want to get Paul back in here for reasons that I can't fully articulate. Paul, let's just quickly talk William Saliba, if that's okay with you. Look, I think this player is extremely highly regarded from what I've read. He's exactly the kind of player Arsenal should be bringing in. Someone who's, before he's a superstar, could develop into that on our books, solve a problem position for us, and then potentially be worth a fortune if we can't hold on to him. But we've got to loan him back to make that happen, it would seem. Um, Some people are just irate about this. What good is signing a center back we can't use this season? Where do you come down on the idea of us buying exactly what we need only to not use it this season? Uh, well, uh, we didn't really have an option. This was the only option available. Right, but uh, there are some people that would say, then then don't go get him. Go get someone you can use this season. I mean, what's your take on that? Well, we'll care next season. And he's not, I don't, from what I understand, he's not really costing us that much this season. So the real crime is, why have we not found a center back? Not why are we loaning Saliba back? That was that was a a, a black box situation. That was mm. that was binary. Do you want him next season or don't you? Yes, we want him next season. Now back to this season. Where are our centre backs? We're struggling to hold on to the ones we got or sell the ones we have. There isn't remotely a rumble of anybody coming in. I don't think there's too much to say about the Saliba thing. Apart from that might be the one clever thing we've done this summer. Um, and if we're all fixed in a year's time and we got our shit together, uh, I'd probably take that deal right now. I'd take one more bad year if everything, if we got our shit together next summer. And, and, you know, Tim's talked a lot about Emery being a transition manager, um, that you just have to go through an Emery or two. It's kind of, maybe not your Moyes, but it's, it's a guy you're going to struggle with. Uh, and, you know, it's a bit of a shit show all around. And in the end, you're just kind of grinding through the players and, and doing a squad turnover and getting your internal processes sorted. And Check. Uh, he's the guy. <laughs> yeah. And he's the guy who, to some degree, pays the price. I, I didn't like that when Tim said it. And then he kept saying it time and time again. But unfortunately, whether it was by plan or just inevitability, it, it's feeling like. Emery's time with us, be it another, you know, if he makes another season, I, I still think there's some chance he'll make another two seasons, but it'll probably all be just uh, grinding through the players we have and turning over the squad. I mean, there are opportunities here, if we were good enough, to advance our youths, uh, for the young guys to come through, to to take some tough decisions, to get all these players who are on... 100k plus off our books when they should be paid something like 50 60 70k um we're going to turn over a lot of players one way or another um and as uh, i think tim said what we really need is a coach who can really coach and develop players and emery somewhat understandably in my books 
his job was to get us into the Champions League last year and, and he failed. Um, but maybe he can coach and maybe those are the marching orders and maybe that's what uh, Freddie being part of the coaching staff is to make sure we have a pipeline. And maybe mm. the fact that we're maybe not that interested in Bielik is because actually those minutes you want to give to Bielik, Freddie wants to give to whoever, Willock, um Macy, um, yeah, etc. So, I mean, it could be just a continued shit show, but maybe there's a plan. And if he's giving Bielik's minutes to Saka, then we've got a real fucking problem. <laughs> sure, sure. But you know what I mean. There are youth players, and if you look at who's made the happy noises in the media, it wasn't Bielik. He made it clear he doesn't feel he's part of our thinking. Whereas if you look at Willock, uh, Enketia, uh, Reese Nelson. Um, Smith Road, they've all made very, very positive noises and they were all part of the in-club last year, uh, although the, the season transpired in different ways. So, you know, if we get a couple of good players out of those guys and a couple of good sales, uh, uh, loans and then sales out of those guys, that's pretty good compared to previous years. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of what our game is. We, we need a coach. Uh, rather than what Emery was for us last year to develop players and bring them through. And, you know, maybe Zach Medley, maybe. We talk like we don't have Mavropanis anymore. And I know he kind of he disappointed towards the end of the last season. But you got him, you got Holding. Um, we got Chambers, who I don't feel has... Uh, I don't... He, he doesn't seem to me to be in our long-term plans. I think we all get that vibe. But we could come out with two very, very good centre-backs if we coach them to a level they they should be at. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I have to say, I'm hugely in favour of the Saliba deal. I mean, if we believe yeah. this guy is a future star at centre-back, go get him. And if the only way you can go get him is to loan him back, I mean, the one thing you want by having a director of football, by having people that, you know, by having a coach instead of a manager is that someone can say, look, we're going to look out for the long-term interests of the club and the short-term interest. You can do both. And you could make an argument that bringing young Saliba into Arsenal right now isn't any good for him anyway. He's developing really well where he is, so leave him there. Let him get one more year of that trajectory of his development and then bring him in when he's ready, and hopefully we're in a better position. But, yeah, I mean, you, you, you can do both. You can guard the short-term interest of the club and the long-term interest, and I get that it's frustrating because we need a center back. We sign one, and we're not even going to use him. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't just sign another one. I mean, Clive, how do you feel about the Saliba deal? Is it, is it, does it sit well with you? Yeah. Hey, look, we, we, we sat here that, remember that period when uh, Liverpool bought your mate Naby Keita? And we went, oh my God, how they got him a year in advance? Mm -hmm. Did they need him? They, they, they got by without him. And he came in and he started really well and then dropped away. But we all agree that's a smart move. Get him early because he was building and building and building. They nabbed him at a price and tucked him away. Chelsea did it with Pulisic, oh, by the way, too. I mean, maybe not the same yeah, caliber of player, but yeah. And you have to. You've got to nail these things down. So that's, okay, that's outsmarting the market, right? So if the guy turns out to be the new Varane, then we're going to sit back and say that was a genius move. The problem is... 
I remember Tim came up with the line. I think we we stole it from somewhere, the three star hotel line. I reckon we got a couple of two star hotels now in in, in center halves, and that's we've got problem. a bunch of hostels. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a real problem. We, you know, Monreal is on his last legs. Koscielny has literally got one leg. Socrates is a is an interesting player. I like him. He should be first pick, but he can't play every minute of every game because the way he's tackled, that's not going to happen. Um, holding, people are looking at holding like the second coming. And I'm telling you, it's going to take a while for him to get back up to speed. It, it really is. You know, this is not a twisted ankle he's got. This is a cruciate. His dating game is on point, though. He's having a good yeah, time. Yeah. Having a good time in America with his with his American girlfriend. And it's it's nine months out, right? So that's two, three months before you get back to anything like and like what he was. And the same for Bellerin as well, by the way. You know, so we've got to be really careful there. You've got to manage those players. Matthew Panos is scared of his own shadow, which is a bit of a shame. And so we we've got we've got to do some work. And so I, I know Tim has he's he's poured he's poured water all over my thoughts of, of about fifteen players coming in. And I do sort of understand what he's saying, but I am still hopeful there'll be three or four players coming in to change the dynamic of this team. And, you know, obviously a left-back, um, a, a centre midfielder, and a, a wide forward for sure, and a centre-half. If we can't get that four, then we are really having to look. We're going to have to look a lot further back in our thoughts about how we got here. Um, because this would be a situation where all of your numbers you keep quoting at me earlier about us being a mid-table team. Mm-hmm. If you don't get those four players, that will be reality next year. I guarantee it. Because these players, are, you know, a lot of these players are not going to improve. And the ones that did really well last year are going to have to do very well to sustain that. And then we are looking at some of the younger players as the players that are going to reach a higher ceiling. And there is no sure thing in that. What we need is a Gareth Bell syndrome where you get a bolter out of nowhere. Somebody that was barely playing, playing left back. Every time he played, they lost. Suddenly, as a massive game and turns into something amazing. And, and that's what we need. We need something to happen like a Seth Fabregas, just come out of the club and go, bang, I'm here and I'm reaching the top level. We need a couple of those to happen and to really, to shorten the pathway to what we think is going to happen in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, well said. Tim, as we uh, say goodbye here, I just want to get your thoughts on one thing really quickly. So Adu has been officially announced um, and the obvious has happened. We are linked with everybody who has ever been to Brazil, let alone plays in Brazil. Um, just quickly, you did a phenomenal Patreon pod on Adu, and we'll we'll expand more on that uh, in the regular pod when we have more time down the road. Uh, I don't want to stretch this out to be a four hour podcast, but uh, as as much as I'm sure the listener would enjoy that, uh, just really quickly your thoughts on Adu, and and maybe you can touch on Martinelli, where he comes from, what that means in terms of Brazilian football, whether it's realistic to expect to see him anytime soon in the first team. Yeah, sure. So, so with Edu, um, the important thing is he's done this type of job before, um, and a, a big part of his role for Brazil that I think will be interesting for Arsenal was ensuring a style and a philosophy through all of the age groups right up to the first team. Um, the other interesting thing potentially about Edu's role was that a big part of his role as well um, is you know, millions and millions and millions of Brazilians have um, dual nationality. Lots of them hold two passports. Um, it's a melting pot of a country um, in that respect. And Brazil started 
losing players to other countries. You had Diego Costa going for Spain, Jorginho going for Italy, Thiago Alcantara went for Spain. Um, lots of players started to turn Brazil down and a lot of it was because they didn't feel that that love and that contact from the Brazilian national team. And when they became good, a lot of those players were kind of late bloomers. And when they became good um, and they had a couple of offers, they kind of thought, well, you know what? Brazil showed no interest in me when I was a teenager. So I'm declaring somewhere else. And a lot of them moved to other countries when they're 18, 19. They, they feel connections with other nationalities. And a big part of his job was to stop that rot and to stop that happening and to have early contact with uh, with young Brazilian players, convince them there's a pathway for them, and and make them feel that love and that connection. And if if Arsenal are in a phase of kind of project youth mark two then then that's potentially quite interesting as for martinelli i've never seen him play because he's barely played at any sort of level he played in the uh campeonato paulista um for a fourth division side but he did by all accounts play very very well against the big teams that the way he came up was that he took part in a tournament that happens every january in brazil called the copinha which is uh, an under-20 tournament. And it's a huge, huge deal in Brazil because it happens in the only time of year that there is no Brazilian domestic football. The Brazilian domestic calendar runs for 11 months. The players have four weeks off and that's it. And they host this... Yeah, yeah, because of the state championships. So they host the Copinha in New Year. And it's, it's huge because, A, lots of young Brazilian players make it um and and go into first teams so fans are very interested and engaged in the in the youth teams um and secondly it just happens when there's no other football on um and uh, the, the copinha is, is held in sao paulo every year and it is the premier youth tournament at club level in south america and every single club in every top division in the world will have scouts there. It's a massive meat market for scouts. And every decent player that has come out of Sao Paulo has played in the Copinha and become come to the attention of scouts through that route. Um, it happened with Gabriel, who used to play for us. That's exactly how he got his We always find the best contract. the best defenders. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's how he came to the attention of Vitoria in Brazil. He was playing at no level. He had a good tournament in the Copinha, picked up by a scout. That's it. You're away if you have a good tournament. That's what Martinelli did. Martinelli was one of the standout players at the Copinha. He was at Ituano. And so Ituano saw an opportunity and they thought, right, he's on people's radar now. Um, and, you know, he'd, he'd been on people's radar before. There's, you know, Bayern Munich had looked at him. Manchester United had looked at him. They all knew he had an Italian passport, but he had a breakout copy. And so Ituano were like, right, we're going to play him in the state championships against the big boys. And if he has three or four good games, we'll sell him on for good money, which is exactly what happened. He played well against Corinthians. He played well against Sao Paulo end of story they were able to sell him on so it's a gamble because he hasn't played at any sort of level yet but a bit like the Saliba signing people don't like you know the idea of loaning back and people don't like fairly understandably signing a player from the Brazilian fourth division but what have we been talking about for the last couple of years we need to get the players before they're famous we need the before they're famous types this is what you have to do to get them 
Because if William Saliba, or if there is an 18-year-old centre-back out there who is good enough to come and fix Arsenal's defence now, he's not coming to Arsenal. He's going to go somewhere bigger for more money. So we've got to get in there before these players become that player or before the world realises they are. So I see Martinelli and Saliba as part of the same project, really, which is that they're gambles. I mean, Saliba sounds like he's going to be an expensive one, so they must be quite sure. But this is the type of thing you have to do. Get Martinelli before he goes to Corinthians or Sao Paulo and plays well there. And then his price goes up to 20 million, 30 million. You know, Everton at Gremio, for example, nobody got him. And now he's gone and, and won like the Golden Boot at the Copper America. And now we got linked recently, but. But too big for us That's probably now, right? N- not happening, not happening. If we'd have been in before Copper America, maybe, but now, no. And and this is what I mean, like getting these players before they even go to the big club in Brazil, because then they become expensive. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that Martinelli will work. In fact, I think it's most likely it won't work. But this is what you have to do. If you want the before they're famous types, that means that you're not excited when they actually sign for you because you don't know if they're any good yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that a lot of the players we sign aren't good. So, so I mean, <laughs> it's what we it's what we used to do, though, isn't it? We used to do this yep. all the time, didn't we? And we stopped doing this, and um, we used to do it, with, you know, with some of the young African players. And then we went into, you know, into Europe, you know, with the Seth mm-hmm. Bentner type era and the Nilsson Col- type era. Colo Torre worked out, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 you know, this is what we used to do. And you said something a, a while back, Elliot. You know, we're going back to that. And at that moment in time, no one else was really doing it. We were forced to do it. Now it's becoming vogue. It really is becoming vogue because the Neymar 200 million transfer a couple of years ago has taken this market into a place where it's just not sustainable. So if you don't get smart, get ready to be taken over by other people with more oil money, for example. So we've got to do this and it's going to be painful. But, you know, we talked a lot about Koscielny, but I'm telling you, those players, they need to go. You know what it is? It, look, really quick. the transfer market is roulette. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. But even at the roulette table, there's safer bets. You can bet on red, bet on black. Those are 50-50. You can also pick a specific number, and those pay out huge if they hit. Gambles like Martinelli, Martinelli are putting a little bit of money on a specific number. That can't be your only transfer strategy. You can't take your whole budget and put it on specific numbers because the odds are too long. You want a good blend of some higher likelihood hits that you have to pay a little more for, and then a blend of a couple of these shots that you take. Again, Doozy, for example, a Martinelli, for example, and you hope they hit two. And that's what we're doing, and it's it's what we have to do. I think we should leave it there because Scott's going to come on with a little bit of statistics before we wrap this up. We can talk about sales next time. We've got a lot more to talk about, but... I'm going to L.A. My flight leaves tomorrow. I'm going to be doing a live ArsCast in L.A. There's all kinds of information at the Arsenal America site. Uh, we'll have some stuff on social media. Ars blog will obviously have stuff on his fantastic blog. You should check it out. It is arsblog.com uh, is where you can find that. Highly recommend it. Uh, Paul, I currently have you muted, so if you unmute, I can say goodbye to you. Paul is on Twitter at Poznan in my pants. Thank you, Paul. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. Uh, you know, it's a little bit retro today. That's fine. Tim, uh, who is back, and we are thrilled to have him, is on Twitter at Stoberto. Thank you, Tim. Bakri Sanya forever. Yeah, the, 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 the once and future captain. Who knows? Maybe we'll sign him back. He's not playing right now. He's keeping himself in shape. So, uh, something to think about. Can play center back a little bit, too. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to take a break. 
play a little bit of uh, rights-free music because that's what we got to do these days. And when we're back, Scott will tell us how bad things really are. Can't wait. Stay with us. or hopefully will be pleased. I don't know. It depends on what he has to say. Pleased to be joined by Scott. You can find him on uh, Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Yeehaw. Yeehaw, indeed. Uh, hey, happy 300th episode, my friend. So glad that you have been around for a lot of it uh, here and on Patreon and sharing uh, interesting statistics on Discord and on the website and the articles you've written. Uh, it's been great. Oh, and of course, the YouTube shows, which we'll be going back to uh, in a little over a week. We are both off to California, albeit at slightly different times. But I uh, hope to have some good stuff for everybody, videos and, and recordings and live footage and stuff while you're out there. So a uh, lot to look forward to. So thank you so much. Well, let me, let me just clarify that. I'm not off to California. I'm just going to a different part of California. Yeah, okay, braggart. That's right. Scott is a California person who is going to another part of California. Uh, I am going to California. Either way, the semantics are what we expect from you because you are about data and accuracy and specificity, and we appreciate that. So let's get specific. What we want to do right now, look, there's been a lot of debate about are we close to the top four? Are we not close to the top four? Did we show improvement last season? We finished higher on points, um, one position higher up the table, right there for top four, but unfortunately got to rain on that parade. There's some statistics that indicate that all is not rosy in case you hadn't noticed. I think that Chelsea and United are potential dumpster fires waiting to happen. And that means a top four spot could be right there for the taking. But the numbers are worrying, and we're going to have to do better than we did last season significantly in terms of performances if we want to take the opportunity that may well be presented to us. So, Scott, let's dive in. What's the first underlying metric that you want to look at that gives context to the struggles we had last season? Um, so for me, um, you know, one of the things I've been posting lately, so this was something that I was actually kind of doing new over the summer here, um, was kind of taking a look at uh, what, say, the, the defense did versus the offensive average um, output in a match. So just, to, you know, basically what would you expect a team to do versus what then um, did they actually produce against, you know, say, Arsenal? Um, and one of the things that actually popped out to me was that Arsenal, you know, actually let teams do better than really expected. Um, so that's may or may not be a surprise to people. It wasn't really a, a huge surprise to me. Um, the biggest surprise to me actually was when I broke it down into, say, tiers of the teams that Arsenal faced. Uh, the biggest ones um, that were surprising to me is that the, the mid-table and the relegation zone teams, I actually have it. So mid-table uh, is the team 7 to 14 and relegation battlers were 15 and below. Um, both of those teams... Um, seem to actually do significantly better than average against Arsenal than they did against everybody else, and that was quite worrying. Um, Arsenal were actually surprisingly um, quite good against the other top six teams um, and actually keeping them um, below their season averages. So I think that is something that is definitely going to be a big worry um, and maybe something that Arsenal are not going to get the same amount of points against those teams um, if, they per- if they repeat the same performances going into next season. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, when you take the worst teams in the league and allow them to perform better than they usually do, that's not a good sign, because when the worst teams in the league play the biggest clubs in the league, they should perform significantly worse than they do 
Is that the case with the other big clubs? Did they hold those teams to worse performances? That is definitely the case with the other big teams. So, you know, you expect, you know, the the best teams to be able to do about average, you know, maybe a little bit above, maybe a little bit below. Um, but against, you know, when you have just significant talent edges, you expect that to show. Um, and that was the case with um, all of the other big teams, you know, especially okay. Liverpool and Manchester City. Well, right, of course. But even the ones that we would expect we could creep up on, like United and Chelsea, did better. And the, you know what's funny? Sometimes the, the stats tell you that a narrative concept you had been developing in your head is wrong. And sometimes they confirm it. And I think it's funny because if you asked most fans about Emery last season, you'd say, I was impressed with how he improved us in some of the big games. You know, beating Spurs, beating Chelsea, beating United, uh, drawing Liverpool. I was impressed with how he improved us in some of those games. But we weren't as good as we should have been against the lesser teams. We didn't beat up on the, the dross the way we should have. And it sounds like the statistics bear out that conclusion. Exactly. So yeah, it's it's always good to, you know, check what you, you know, see with your eyes and, you know, if, you know, maybe then also, you know, confirms um gives you ideas about, you know, or maybe you can look at different things. So this was, I definitely was something that was confirmed by what I saw, right. and it was quite a departure from what we had come to expect under Arsene Wenger. Literally the his, opposite. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do so bad against the the top 6 teams, but absolutely dominate the rest. Yeah. Um so yeah, it was a, you know, bit of a surprise. Um, you know, from the departure from what we expected you know, in the past. It's it's unfortunate because as as much as I think we're all ready for change, and again, I'm not not looking back on that in any way, but you if you want to be a perennial top four team, obviously you need the points against the little teams. Th- those have to be secured. You can we we got top four plenty of years being terrible against the rest of the top four stroke top six. But you got to beat up on the bottom half. So Emery's gonna have to improve that. How about another one? I see that you've been doing a lot of Passing modeling, looking at deep completions. So passes completed in the box, passes completed within 15 yards of goal, allowed and completed. So do you want to take a look at that? Is that something that you have found sort of interesting correlations with the finish in the table and and performances overall? Yeah, I mean, so unsurprisingly, um, the the fewer passes that you allow close to your goal... Um, the less shots that you allow close to your goal and the less goals that you give up. There's actually a, a very, very strong correlation between all of those, um, you know, between um, XG and very um, deep completion. So those would be passes uh, within 15 yards of your goal. There is a, um, an 80 percent um, correlation between those. Um, so a very strong. So in um, other words, if you want to have a good defense, according to XG, the best place to start is not allowing the team to get within 15 yards of your goal. Don't allow deep completions. We might expect a team like Burnley to break that model where they allow you deep, but they block a lot of shots. Um, and it's actually, um, it's actually a, a little bit different. So this was actually um, similar to what the Wolves model is. So they will allow, I guess, um, medium deep um, completions, but they are very stingy at the very deep completion. So you will, they basically wall you off um, to where you cannot get the ball really past the penalty spot and in. Past the, the penalty box. It all over the penalty spot. Yeah, 15 yards. Okay, so let's let's look at how Arsenal com, uh, compared there against some of the other big clubs. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say in terms of the deep completions allowed, we probably let up more than we should have. 
Yeah, so Arsenal were actually pretty good in the the medium zone. Um, so that one that's, you know, the the 25 to 15, they were actually pretty good at keeping people out of that zone. Um, and that one, I basically look at just the central zone so that, you know, you don't look at passes that are, you know, down by the corner flag necessarily. So those ones don't count. Um, so Arsenal do really well at keeping people out of the medium deep central zones um, better than I think they were about uh, a seventh in the league in that spot. Um, but then when you get into the deep and very deep, um, that starts to see where they slip and really diverge from the other top six teams. Um, and you'll see some of the teams like, um, you know, the Wolves. Wolves were actually one of the teams that was, you know, most impressive to me um, in their bend and don't break style defense uh, where Arsenal really kind of slipped. Um, on the offensive side of things, Arsenal actually looked pretty good um, in their ability to actually complete passes in there. Um, you know, we do still have good creative players in this team. Um, you know, we weren't at quite the elite level of uh, Manchester City, Liverpool or Chelsea, um, but we were um, right there with them, you know, not super far behind, uh, better well, than uh, Tottenham or Manchester United. I want to pull this apart a little bit. So first, let's go back to the allowed. I don't think you told us where we actually ranked. So where where did we rank for that? Uh, so in the, the medium completions, I believe we were seventh mm-hmm. in the deep and very deep. We were uh, 10th and 11th. Yeah. So that's not great, especially with an 80% correlation to actually allowed. So, but as far as completing them, do you, what, what do you do with wide spaces? Cause we know that we had this meme of uh, get it to the wings, get it to the wings. And we did that a lot, but that may not be as dangerous in terms of the possession. So do you do deep com- completions that go out to the wings still count in your model? And, and is that something that maybe accounts for why we were so good at it? So, um, you know, deep completion. So let's, let's get the definitions here. So very deep are passes from zero to 15 yards from the center of the goal. So that's basically drawing a a half circle um, that basically goes about a yard and a half past the the penalty spot. Because I believe the the penalty spot's about 13 yards. Basically Um, places that if you get a shot from there, it's probably a big chance. Yeah, very, very good. Um, So then deep completions are um, from 15 to 25. And then I have ones that are 25 to 35, but that is only looking in the central half. Like, so it's it. basically the half spaces. So you're um, trying you know, to isolate area. dangerous, hurtful balls and not really bring in the sort of meaningless spraying it to the wings kind of stuff. So that's helpful. So where, where did we rate in terms of those deep and very deep completions? So at the, the very deep completions, we were actually third. So Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal. Um, deep completions and medium deep completions, we were fourth. So Chelsea um, edged above, above us So let there. me ask you a question then. I mean, if we completed the third most deep completions, in other words, people were getting the ball, Arsenal players had the ball within 12, was it 12 yards? 15 yards. Within 15 yards of the goal. That's close. You're in there. No, those are very good shots. Right, right. Yes. yeah. I well, no, they, so what I'm saying, just, yeah. if we were third in completing passes into those zones, isn't it, I know that you're going to come up and tell me momentarily that we were poor at getting off shots and poor at getting big chances. So who's the burden fallen? If we're getting the ball into places where we should have had big chances, is the problem with our wingers maybe not taking enough shots? Is the problem that Lacazette isn't taking enough shots? I mean, we know Aubameyang is a, a high XG but low shot volume kind of guy. I mean, what do you attribute it to? Because you would you would suggest that if you're getting the ball within 12 yards of the goal, that you've done the job in build-up, and the failure has been not getting a shot from that spot. So, so where, where do you point the finger there? I, I don't know. I mean, to me, I think that's um, you know a process thing that or everything that you're doing process-wise went right. 
Um, you know, I think we ha- I don't think that we have necessarily players that can't get the shots off, and that's something that if we you know repeated that next year, I would be very happy. That's so very I, I, I interesting, Scott. Scott, I got to tell you, I think that's a fascinating statistic because XG only picks up on where shots are taken, and I know we were bad at taking shots and bad at big chances last year, but you're telling me we were actually quite good at getting the ball into very hurtful spots. So maybe is it a tiny silver lining that we got the ball into really hurtful spots? And if we can continue to do that and turn those hurtful, turn that hurtful possession into shots, because I will tell you again, another narrative thing. One thing I banged on about a lot on Twitter and I, I saw a lot of people complain about, I felt we got the ball in a lot of good spaces that we didn't convert into chances this season. And the, the data bears that out. So that maybe that's easier to turn around than we think. Is that possible? It's possible. Cause I think, yeah. So I, we, I know we, yeah, we do talk a lot about the cutbacks and, you know, those kinds of things, you know, we're cut back FC now. Those are incredibly dangerous and very good shot or, you know, chances to create. Um, and that's exactly really what you want to be doing. Um, it's something that Manchester City do so much, but when they do it, you know, they turn into goals. When Arsenal were doing it, they were, you know, just turning into shots or they were turning into or not shots or not shots. And I think that the process part is right. That's exactly what we want to do. We want to create dangerous spots. And I think that we have the talented enough people that if we're getting the ball into these dangerous zones, eventually it should, um, you know, bear out that we'll get better shots. We'll get more goals from that. Um, And, you know, part of the thing, too, is that you you think about it, you only really get, you know, four or five of these in a game. Um, so there's, it's, it, it can be a pretty small sample size over, you know, a season where, you know, a couple of these not turning into shots, you know, really kind of skews things. So I think it's, it's positive that Arsenal are doing this and I, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, this is, there's an issue here. If, you know, if there was something that says that Arsenal were not creating these dangerous opportunities, that's when I would be worried. Um, I'm more worried about the allowed, um, than the created, yeah. Yeah, I um I got to tell you I think I think that is that is the most encouraging as weird as it sounds statistic I've heard about Arsenal this season because I felt that our attack was really pretty poor. But if we were getting the ball within 12 yards of the goal at a rate that was better than everyone but Liverpool and City, there's hope for us. But the problem is they weren't turning into shots. So let's talk shots cuz this is really bad. Our shot differential, our big chances, our shots for all of those metrics not what we want them to be. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you look at the pure shot numbers and Arsenal had a, a negative shot differential. Um, and that is something that is definitely not positive. All of the other big teams um, were definitely in the positive range, um, some of them very significantly. So so that is something that, you know, you typically do not see. Um, Arsenal just did not create a lot of shots, period. Um, they were 11th um, in the <sighs> league in total shots. Um, and for the amount of attacking talent on this team, that is really not acceptable. Um, they you think it's an indictment better. of the wide players? I mean, is, is that where it is, or do you think it's an indictment of maybe just conservative formations not having an extra attacker on? Where yeah, do you, where do you put the blame there? Part of it is my thing is that Emery a lot of times really only lined up with the, the three attacking players. Um, the only time the offense really seemed to be clicking um, was when we had Aaron Ramsey actually as a midfielder, and everybody knows that he is very good at creating um, the overloads in the offensive side where he will be the fourth attacker from deep. And so Arsenal were able to get four full attackers into the into the game. Um, and that's something that I think Arsenal need to be able to find a way to get a fourth attacker. So if Emery wants to go with that 4-2-3-1, 
um, I think that is definitely going to be better than you know the three five two that we did or the the three four three that or yeah whatever it was yeah. that Arsenal liked to do last yeah, year three four three so yeah. mm-hmm. it, it, that is something that I think is going to be important is to be able to have that fourth attacker um, but also the you know that ten has to be able to give you know strength and solidity to the midfield yeah well I mean I guess then the question is. What uh? What did we wind up doing in terms of the quality of the chances we created? I, I know that big chances are the goldmine, right? That's that's where you're expected to score. Um, that's where yeah, Aubameyang yeah, feasts. Typically about, yeah, typically so, about a 40% chance. Yeah, so I mean, I would expect that City and Liverpool had tons of them. We didn't exactly have tons of them, did we? No, we didn't have a ton of them. Um so it's something that I, I'm definitely worried about. I think we ended up um, about even overall on the season, um, and that's definitely not great. Um, and again, it's a, an indictment of our uh, defense more than I think the the offense. Um, we just let people in too easily into dangerous spots. So I, I really hope that that is something that can be addressed next year. Um, I'd yeah. love to see Arsenal be able to create more. And I think, again, it's the the underperformance against the weaker teams. Um, and that's something that yes, Arsenal were able to get more points against them this year than, you know, probably expected. But if you continue the type of performances that they had, that's not something that you would bet to repeat. Yeah. All right. Well, let's finish with XG. Look, I know there are people that are sick to death of XG. They're just sick of hearing about it. And clearly XG has flaws, but as far as a statistic that correlates as closely as possible with the points you're going to pick up, the goals you're going to score and concede, and where you're going to finish in the table, it does a pretty damn good job. And, you know, it, it tends to give you a, a truer sense of what you can expect going forward from the club. Are you playing like a top four team? Are you playing like not top four team? This is where I worry. Our XG difference is a mid-table team, correct? Yeah, it totally is. We were a lot closer to the mid-table than... Uh, the other team. So not the so Tottenham did not have a great um, you know expected goal difference. Um, they were another team that you know pretty significantly overperformed. Um, so I'm not sure if that's you know Pochettino magic or or whatever it is. Um, but they were only about plus 13. Uh, Manchester United was another team that was not great. Uh, they were plus 11. Um, and then in um, seventh place is Wolves and they're plus 10. Then you get Arsenal at plus nine. Um, so Arsenal are closer to uh, Leicester um, at, you know, uh, they're at almost six. And then you know, they were to Tottenham, who is 13. So that's something that is definitely worrying that they're we're closer to the teams that are chasing us than the teams that we are chasing. And, and by comparison, like a team like Chelsea that we feel we were very close to. In fact, according to XG difference, we weren't very close at all. No, they I mean, I think they were, you know, pretty significantly the the third best team that probably just went through a you know a finishing slump there at that you know probably the the four fifths part of the season you know the yeah you know, that second or that 80th you know percentile you know games yeah so that was part of the thing where you know it was sorry out and everybody was you know up in arms but then they actually finished quite well um you know got their the points needed to be able to come into the top four well so let's get your professional opinion now doctor so um you look at all the metrics and you say Chelsea lose a manager who's a competent manager to Juventus and get a guy who has very little experience. I, I, I say he's more than a yeah more than a competent manager. I think that Sarri is a, a very good manager, and I think that that's something that's going to hurt them. Well, let's put it this way: whether you think he's very good or competent, I don't think anyone's prepared to say Frank Lampard is as good as him. So they they downgrade at manager. No, yeah, definitely. 
They yeah. lose the best player in the Premier League. United have a joke of a manager, and their squad is kind of in disarray, and they may be losing some of their key players. Spurs still may lose players. We're not sure, but they lost 20 games in total last season. When you look at our metrics, do you think that the the statistics you look at of how we played last season, and assuming that the squad isn't going to look a hell of a lot different because it looks like it's not going to, do you think that those other teams are in enough trouble with their situations that we can overcome a statistical disadvantage to them that may be greater than we expected? Or are you worried that we may be sliding further back, not getting closer? Um, it's, it's a tough one. I think that third through eighth place is going to be incredibly open next year. Um, I, I think Tottenham probably are going to be um, better than... Because, you know, they, they actually did actually go out and spend some money this summer because that's something that was super surprising. The, you know, I guess they were financing a stadium, so they decided that they didn't want to spend any money. We remember those years. Um, but they've actually gone out and, um, you know, bought. So Ndombele um, from Lyon, who is a, a very, very good midfielder, that was somewhere that they were really hurting um, last season, and that fills a, a major gap for them. They haven't lost any of their attacking talent yet. So I think that Spurs probably will be the third best team. Um, and then fighting for that fourth place between Chelsea, Manchester United, Wolves, Leicester, maybe Everton. I, I think there is going to be some some good um, you know fight there for that fourth through eight, nine spots. Yuck. Um, <laughs> I, I, That's just what I want to hear. I, yeah. Yeah. Chelsea are definitely going to be in a weird situation. I, you know, they, they've gone and they, I guess they, they did their transfer ban to arbitration to the, you know, sport for arbit- the Ar- court of arbitrations for sport. Um, but they haven't had their transfer ban stayed yet. I think I saw somebody on Twitter tell me that they were, they're actually maybe willing to stand pat and, you know, let it go for this summer because they've already made a, a couple of moves in the, the winter where they were able to register, you know, Kovacic and Polisic. Um, so they might just stand pat with that and then, you know, brings back some of their loan army. Um, if so, I mean that I, that they're losing Hazard, um, and that's a, a big thing to miss. And you know they got Willian, who's you know getting old, and Pedro, who's old. Um, who are they having a striker? Are they gonna you know go all time with Giroud? So I, they have lots of questions. So and a possible transfer ban where they may not be able to answer them. Uh, Manchester United, you know they they bought in Aaron Wambasaka, who I think is a, a very good right back, probably the the best. Uh, defensive right back right now, at least in the league, and but I think maybe that not much of an attacker. Numbers. So, you know, yeah, I think his attacking numbers will look better um, on Manchester United than they did at Crystal Palace. So, I think that's something that I, I would expect him to do better. Um, but that's something where they have. I think Manchester United have enough attacking talent to where you know you don't necessarily need it from the fullback. Um, but they do have a, a manager who has you know quite a bit of question marks about him. They might be losing Pogba. Um, it looks like Lukaku is on his way out. So they have a lot of question marks, too. Um, we all know the question marks for Arsenal. Um, Wolves, you know, they their big thing is, can they do better against the bad teams? So they have similar questions to Arsenal. So can they do better when they are the favorites? Um, I, I actually am very impressed with, with Leicester. Um, I think they've made some pretty good moves, and they are um, really going to put in a, a strong fight to get into the top four. Um, and I think they could possibly do it. That might be my... My you know dark horse pick to to get past everybody. Great. Well, you know, so I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think Arsenal are going to be in it unless things absolutely fall apart early in the season. Yeah, um, Le- I don't expect them to be the favorites, but they'll have a you know maybe a fifteen percent chance probably to start the season. It, it's it's tough, right? I mean, you you see this vulnerability 
in the teams that would ordinarily be the ones you'd expect to keep us out of the top four. And that op- that, that opening is there, but <laughs> you know our shoelaces are tied together. We, we can't seem to get out of our own way and get into a position to, to take advantage of the opportunity. It reminds me a little bit of like when Lester won the title. Again, couldn't get out of our way and just win the title when it was there for us. Top four is there for us, and I, I just worry that we can't quite get out of our way. I guess we'll just have to see what happens. I mean, if there's one statistic that you look at of all the ones that you're measuring, other than just, you know, obviously, XG difference, that you'd like to see us get better at, is it is it the big chances allowed? I mean, is is that the one we have to clean up if we want to move up the table? Um, so I think that I, I really want to see the the deep completions. And I I mean, I, now that I'm looking at it, I really want to see the improvement against the the bottom table teams, um, you know, especially the... You know the teams that are in the the bottom third, uh, maybe even you know the the teams that are in that you know tenth and below. So I want to see us to actually go out and just dominate them, because you know it's a, a high variability sport. So when you give more chances for variability to strike against you, you are more likely to drop points in those games. So I would rather just go out there and just dominate those teams. Um, you know, that's what Manchester City do, and that's how they basically go into those matches and, you know, they collect all the points. So you really do need to beat the teams that you're expected to beat um, and hope for, you know, Arsenal aren't going to win a title. So really, if you can get draws, um, you know, maybe get a win at home against your, your top six rivals, that's that's better. But really look for a draw away. Um, you know, even if it's some of the other teams in the top half, you know, win at home, draw away, that's that's awesome. But beat the teams below you. Have a safe trip to LA. We'll talk to you out there. Yeah, well, I'll definitely talk to you out there. Hope you do have a good trip too. And thanks. It's it's too bad we're going to be missing each other by day. Yes, but you know what? We'll have everything covered between the two of us, and that's what matters. Scott's on Twitter. Oh, underscore that underscore crab. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Give us a five star review. Write nasty things about no one. It's our three hundredth episode. Write nice things. Write beautiful, loving things. And sign up for our Patreon or don't, because even if you don't, we love you and we appreciate you. And we will talk to you after. What's the first game? Is it Colorado? It's Colorado. We got a game to talk about. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Rapids nil. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.